This is The Starlet Bandits, a Vespucci story written by Lexi Pandel and narrated by Journey Smollett. The central character's name has been changed to protect her identity. Part 1 Everything changed for Nina when her boyfriend sold Wee to an undercover cop. She was 22 and living in a sleepy cow town in Northern California. Dark-haired, with elfin features, she'd grown up poor in a family that didn't know how to raise a daughter. She dated men in their 30s when she was just a teen, as if hoping someone would take her away. Her boyfriend, Matt, was far from perfect, but at least he'd helped her escape. Then he got locked up. With Matt in prison, Nita couldn't afford to live on her own, so she moved back into the tiny house shared by her alcoholic mother and her mother's alcoholic boyfriend. Almost every night, they'd make Nina drive them around from bar to bar until closing time. But that wasn't the worst of it. The worst was that her mom's boyfriend would lurk outside the bathroom door when Nina took a shower and sit around the house in a kimono with nothing underneath, letting it fall open. He's a perv, Nina said. But her mom didn't care. Nina was getting desperate. She needed to get out of there. That's when Matt called her from prison and told her about a friend of his, a guy named Robert St. John. Most people just called him Bobby. He lived in L.A. and would send her money to help out. If Bobby ever invited Nina to Southern California, Matt said, she should take him up on it. Wouldn't you know it? The next day, the phone rang. I can help you, Bobby said. There's a lot of people down here. He was getting a media company set up and suggested she come work for him. A fantasy of L.A. flashed across Nina's mind. A way out. A new life. That was the only thing she wanted. She agreed. Bobby bought her a train ticket and picked her up from Union Station. He was easy to spot in the bustling crowd, a tall, handsome guy with piercing green eyes. He told her he was 32, a decade older than her. Not that old by Nina's standards. As soon as they met, she could tell Bobby was real smooth, real charismatic. When he looked at her, she felt seen. Let's show you around, he said. And with a magic snap of the fingers, her L.A. fantasy came true. He toured her past the mansions of Beverly Hills. He showed her where different movies were shot. He brought her to Hollywood Boulevard to check out the Kodak Theater, where they gave out the Oscars. The pink and brass stars along the Walk of Fame glimmered at her feet. We gotta buy you some new clothes, Bobby said. You look like a tourist. He took her shopping and spent hundreds like it was nothing. Right away, Nina moved into Bobby's house. He showed her all his recording and photography equipment and said he wanted to film a sitcom. Now that he'd met her, he knew Nina had to be in the show. She had it. She could be a star. Nina wasn't interested in acting, but it was hard not to get swept up in Bobby's dreams. Nina never really had dreams of her own, but she'd always liked feeling useful. 
She measured her own joy by the happiness of others. Now it sounded like she could really help Bobby. And who knows where that might lead? She said yes. The show would be based on her life, he said. Part sitcom, part reality show, part sketch comedy. A rags-to-riches story about a girl who's been told her whole life that she's ugly, that she's nobody, but then proves everyone wrong by moving to L.A. It would be hilarious. They filmed some episodes and Bobby posted material to MySpace, hoping it would catch the eye of someone in the business. It was 2006, and the social media site was booming, churning out stars like Tila Tequila. Bobby even rented a banner on the 106 and Parks website to advertise the show. Nina admired how serious he was about his dreams. At night, he took her out and treated her like the star she deserved to become. They went to nightclubs, got bottle service, danced. As they got closer, Bobby told her more about his story. He'd dropped out of American University and come to L.A. to pursue stand-up and acting. But the system was rigged to take down talented guys like him. He'd gone to prison on a bogus charge for dealing pot, and that set him back for years. Just look, he said, gesturing to the bracelet on his ankle. It would be there to track his movements until his parole was over. Nina knew all about that. Her ex, Matt, was going through the same thing. But despite these obstacles, Bobby never lost sight of his dreams. He tried some of his stand-up material on Nina, but she didn't laugh. She wanted to, but the jokes just weren't funny. That's it, she said. Nah, nah, he said. You know, I'm just working out the kinks. But she liked that Bobby seemed so self-assured, like he had a destiny. And he said he wanted to take care of her. She felt like she'd finally gotten away from her past, like she was breaking into some new life. In fact, Bobby wanted a lot of things, and he wanted them all at once. He wanted to be a celebrity. He wanted to party. And he wanted Nina. He started renting a cheap apartment for the two of them in the valley alongside the Tahunga Wash, a dry concrete tributary of the Los Angeles River. By now, she'd cut off contact with Matt. Her life back in Northern California didn't exist anymore. But soon, Bobby started getting nervous about money. They needed cash for rent, bills, and the TV series. He said he needed Nina's help. You gotta make some money if you're gonna be out here in LA, he said. How? She asked, feeling that old desire to be helpful. He paused. Well, he said, what about prostitution? These were the last words she'd expected to hear. Look, he said. I know you've done this before. Matt told me you'd be okay with it. Her stomach churned. Bobby and Matt were talking behind her back? 
The truth was that Nina had been involved in sex work before. When she and Matt needed money, he'd convinced her to start, but that was supposed to be just a one-time thing. The only way I'm going to stay out of prison is if you go get this money for me, Matt had told her. Well, just look at how that turned out. But Bobby needed her, and Bobby was different. He had a dream to follow. She nodded, and Bobby held her close. You're the only reason I'm able to make it, he said. Don't worry, this isn't forever. Nobody else in your life wants to see you do good, but I do. At least she wouldn't have to walk the streets. Bobby posted online ads for her escort services. She did not like having sex with strangers, but she discovered she could turn part of herself off when she was with them. Anyway, the money was good, and it started pouring in. Soon, she was helping Bobby pick up other girls to work for him. One night, they saw a short, freckled redhead strolling for clients. Bobby was always pointing out a certain type of girl. Young girls, runaways, the kind who'd be seduced by the world he could open up to them. He pulled alongside the redhead, and Nina got out. Want a ride? She said. The girl got in. She said her name was Kadira. By 19 years old, she'd already been working the streets long enough to be looking for a retirement plan. In a botched drug deal, someone had slashed her with a box cutter, leaving a long scar on her back. And more recently, a John had pulled a knife on her. On that first ride, Kadira's life story poured out. At best, she was talkative. At worst, she was bossy and loud. But she took to Bobby immediately. Once she got in that car, she never wanted out. She saw the kind of money that Bobby and Nina were making, the kind of clothes they wore, the protection he could offer. So Bobby and his girls formed a little crew. Women flitted in and out, but the core group was Nina, Bobby's bottom bitch. That's what they call the woman who's been with the pimp the longest. Young, headstrong Kadira, always vying to be the center of attention, and Haley, also 19, and from the Midwest. Haley wore pink baby doll tops and straight ironed her bleached blonde hair. She was so gullible, it almost seemed like an act. She got duped into being a sex worker in the first place when her boyfriend said, I just want you to help my friends feel good. Business boomed. Bobby set up trick parties in the Hollywood Hills via mass text messages. He posted Craigslist ads for escort services. On the phone, he'd put on a female voice and pretend to be the girl from the Craigslist ad, negotiating fees and arranging for the men to meet up in hotel rooms. He took care of everything. He gave them cash to go to the salon, so they always had their hair and nails done. He'd replace their cell phones when they broke. He'd send them on spa days to get massages. He'd buy them shoes. The message was clear. You can have nice things, but only with me. As the bottom bitch, Nina got the most. Bobby didn't think twice about giving her a thousand bucks for shopping sprees. He even bought her a Toyota Camry, right off the lot. It was her first car. 
And when she got behind the wheel, the feeling of freedom almost made her dizzy. It was crazy to say, but this car was the most dependable thing she'd ever had. Well, besides Bobby. He told her he wanted to provide for her. He wanted her in his life for the long haul. One day, Bobby stuffed a duffel bag with brand new clothes and encouraged her to drive the Camry home to Northern California. Show off to your family, he said. Show them that you made it in L.A. On the drive north, Nina thought her family would be proud of her. Just like Bobby said, she'd gone down south with nothing. Now, she was returning in triumph. But the visit was hell. All her mom wanted to know was why she couldn't lend the family some cash. They were short on rent. They might have their power shut off. They didn't know how they'd buy food. Why wouldn't Nina give them a loan? She had the money. Just look at that fancy new car. Being asked for help she couldn't give felt like someone was yanking on her heart. She tried explaining that she didn't have the money. Bobby kept everything she made. But her mom didn't understand. You're just selfish, she said. Nina drove back to L.A., feeling like she was returning to the only family she'd ever really had. To Nina, Kadira was like an annoying little sister, complete with freckles and chubby cheeks. But Kadira would tone down her behavior around Bobby, acting like his pet. Every now and then, he'd let her tag along to some nightclubs. Nina just rolled her eyes. Really? She'd ask. Come on, Bobby said. Kadira's not so bad. Of course... As soon as he went off to get drinks for them, Kadira would get bossy, telling Nina what to do. Still, when Bobby bought Nina season passes to Six Flags, she invited Kadira to come with her for the day. Nina didn't like going out alone. As they wandered around the amusement park over the roar of the rides and shouts of happy kids, Kadira couldn't stop talking, saying how glad she was that Bobby let her go, that Nina took her along. It almost made Nina uncomfortable. No one in Kadira's life wanted to do simple things with her, like ride roller coasters and eat cotton candy. Nina could see that Kadira was the kind of girl who exuded over-the-top brass because of how bad she was hurting inside. They were the same in that way. Nina also knew those feelings could quickly turn to desperation, and Kadira had learned to take whatever she could from whoever she could. As much as she empathized, Nina knew she should keep her at arm's length. Kadira wouldn't think twice about betraying her. Still, after Six Flags, Nina couldn't help but invite her into her world. When Bobby gave her money for shopping trips, she let Kadira help her spend it. Bobby's girls were making a lot, often a couple thousand a night. But somehow, it was never enough. Nina heard her family's voices in her mind, asking where all the money was going. 
Finally, one day, she couldn't hold it back any longer. This doesn't add up, she told Bobby. If I'm earning all this money, where is it? He started pulling out receipts. Just look at these expenses. Bills, rent, car payments, keeping Nina and the other girls looking fresh. She was lucky that he was such a good manager. And then, one day, he came for the only thing she had. We're not going to survive unless I sell your car, he said. Nina loved her Camry. It was her escape hatch. Just knowing she could get in it at any time and drive anywhere made her feel calm. But things looked dire for Bobby. He was drowning in debt. All his dreams were teetering on the brink of failure. So she let him sell the Camry for cash. As soon as the money exchanged hands, she felt like she was drowning right beside him. And even that wasn't enough. In a few short weeks, the money was gone. That's when Bobby came to Nina with a proposition. He spoke calmly, his bright green eyes locking onto her. I need you to rob a bank. Nina blinked, the words not even sinking in. It wasn't a big deal, he said. He knew people who'd done it before. Just walk in, get the money, walk out. It's our last chance, he said. Come on, Nina, don't let the dream die now. There was a Bank of America on Sunset Boulevard. The low-slung brown building was just a few minutes from the Chateau Marmont and the Kodak Theater, where Bobby had dazzled Nina on her first day in the city. She dressed casually in a baggy sweatshirt, her hair pulled back in a loose bun. She looked inconspicuous, except for her enormous dark sunglasses, the kind a star might wear to hide her face from paparazzi. She held a glittery cell phone to her ear. Bobby wanted to monitor what was going on inside, so he sat in the getaway car and talked to her on the phone. As she stepped inside the air-conditioned bank, she disassociated just as she did with a John, feeling like she'd completely left her body, like she was watching herself in a movie. I'm walking up to the teller, she murmured into the phone. Then she handed the teller a note. Give me all the money in the register, quick. The teller looked Nina dead in the eyes and pressed the silent alarm. Is she going for the money? Bobby asked. She's pressing the button, Nina said. Get out of there. Nina rushed through the door, ducked in the car, and they sped off. Not long after, they tried again. This time, a bank in Van Nuys. Same routine, different note. Quickly, give me all the money in your register. Do not press the alarm. I have a weapon, and I would hate to hurt innocent people. This time, the teller took the note, went to get the manager, and never came back. Nina felt ridiculous as she left empty-handed once again. As they drove off, Bobby tried making her feel better. Maybe this whole idea was crazy, he said. Maybe they could get the money another way. But behind his words... Nina sensed his disappointment. He counted on her, and she failed. She leaned her head against the window and watched the world slip away.
Special Agent Stephen May had seen a lot of heists. He was a tall, chatty family man in his late 30s, who worked as the bank robbery coordinator in L.A.'s head FBI office. If a bank got hit anywhere from the desert bordering Nevada all the way north to the beaches of Santa Barbara, Agent May heard about it. In March 2008, he got a call about an aborted robbery at a Bank of America in Hollywood. He rode up to the scene along with the LAPD. They interviewed the teller, who handed over the note. Then they got the security camera pictures. A woman in big, oversized sunglasses, the kind a Hollywood star might wear. A female bank robber? That was unusual. And then, wouldn't you know it, she popped up again in Van Nuys. Same woman, same sunglasses. Part of May's job was to nickname robbers, something the FBI typically does after the second offense. It's a lot easier to refer to someone by a nickname than to say, I think that's the same robber from the Hollywood case last month. The names can come from anywhere. Maybe it's a signature outfit like the kangaroo bandit who kept a backpack on the front of his body to stash his stolen cash. Or maybe it's a physical characteristic like the Magoo Bandit with his oversized glasses. Or maybe it's a line they used during the heist, like the Irreconcilable Differences Bandit, who explained to a teller that he was in the middle of a costly divorce, so give me all your cash. When Special Agent May saw the image of the woman with the sunglasses, the name flashed in his mind like a movie's title card, The Starlet Bandit. But as quickly as he got involved in the case, the Starlet Bandit vanished. It's common enough for robbers to only do one hit and be done. Either their problem gets solved, or they get scared off by the pressure of the heist. But once someone does too, they almost always keep going. And so time passed, but Special Agent May didn't forget about the Starlet Bandit. He knew she'd strike again. End of part one.